Punk's not dead, and neither is New Wave. Join Buzz and Ben on Static Rage, the Punk and New Wave album review podcast. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, around the world, or just across town. Welcome to another exciting episode of Static Rage. My name is Buzzwill, and I'm joined by my good friend, Ben, Liz- ben Lindsay. How you doing tonight, man? Man, I am doing great. We're about to talk about a great album and enjoying a little bit of two of my favorite addictions, caffeine and whiskey. I'm always down for whiskey. In fact, I've got a bottle of Michael Collins right now that I'm sipping from, if you've ever had that before. I have not had any Michael Collins. Is it named after who I think it's named after? You would be correct. That is uh, was my first time I had sipped some. I had met a gentleman at a bar at a Irish pub in Nashville, of all places, that told me about it. And I said, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, there's also another good whiskey named Powers. They had both those on the, under the uh, counter, and I had both the first night that I was there, and I've been hooked ever since. It's a, it's kind of a sweet, sweeter whiskey, um, but it's very enjoyable. I'm not a super big fan of most sweet whiskeys, but I would give that a try. Makes me think that that is a very particular type of Irish establishment if they tote the Michael Collins under the bar. Dude, they have they had a picture of Michael Collins in the back, and they've got a picture of Theobald Wolf tone up. So yeah, I'm I'm sure you can imagine what kind of bar that is. Indeed I can, which brings us to the album that we are reviewing this week, which is Flogging Molly's 2002 release, Drunken Lullabies. This album was released on March 19, 2002. The total length is 45 minutes and 18 seconds long. This is the band's second full-length album. And the personnel on this is going to be Dave King on lead vocals, acoustic guitar, banjo, boron, spoons, and backing vocals. Bridget Reagan on fiddle, tin whistle, ulin pipes, and backing vocals. Dennis Casey on electric guitar and backing vocals. Matt Hensley on accordion. Nathan Maxwell on bass, bass, <laughs> backing vocals. Lead vocal on Cruel Mistress. You can see where my mind's going. I need a pint of bass right now. Yeah. Bob Schmidt on mandolin, banjo, bazooki, and backing vocals. And George Schwint on drums. Yes, and it is worth pointing out that... Um, as you had mentioned at the close of the last episode, that Dave King is actually from Ireland, and he actually got to start in the music business playing for Fastway, which was an English hard rock outfit that was put together by the former guitarist for Motorhead, Fast Eddie Clark, in the 80s. And we were talking before we recorded this. <clears throat> I'd asked you if you'd ever seen this band before live, and you said no. That is correct, right? That is correct, sir. So having seen this band live twice, um, it's it's really cool because Dave, he's a very personable individual. Um, his entire band is super friendly. Um, one of the things he mentioned the first time I, I we saw them play, he got up and told the crowd, you know, back when I was younger, I wanted to play electric guitar and play metal and punk bands just to piss off and annoy my parents. And then I got older and started playing more of my the music that I was brought up on. And then I decided to say hell with it and put the two together after I met some of these knuckleheads back here. So I just think it's interesting that he was in a metal band before he started doing this. Well, I think it shows because right out the gate, this is, um, you know, and 
allow me to back up and say that this is part of our March special of doing Irish and Celtic punk music. Right out the gate, this is the fastest and most aggressive album of the four that we've done. And you can see the influence, not only of punk, but of metal on this playing. I mean, I, you can tell this guy played with dudes who were in Motorhead without a fucking doubt. Yeah, I, and when you hear his voice, too, you'll definitely hear that um, it's a certain raspiness to it that a lot of metal musicians tend to have. And that's kind of what always got onto me about this is you didn't have so much that rawness that you see in a lot of punk but you did have that screechiness if uh, if you want to take it for take those words for what it is um that you will see in a lot of i think speed metal bands for example um yeah and to me what that means is this guy can carry a tune but he's still pushing his vocals um of the four bands again that we've covered thus far and as a refresher the pogues um Dropkick Murphys and Blood or Whiskey, Dave is the best singer out of all the vocalists on those albums, in my opinion. I would only I would only argue that depending on what you expect. But if we're going just based off of just vocals itself, I would have to agree with that. Just pure. If you are listening to it from a musical standpoint, not from a stylistic standpoint, or what connects with you. Because um, like I said, and I can't remember the, the original vocalist for the Dropkick Murphy's name right off the top of my head, Mike something. He sounded incredibly honest. And not that Dave doesn't, because this is, you can tell Dave is tapping into stuff that really affected his life on this album. But Dave is a better vocalist than Mike, just from a pure technical standpoint. Where Mike had that every man that I just wanted to start a band feel... Dave, you can definitely tell, had played in bands before, and you, you again, you can tell that this band is effectively, this is what they want to do. This is what they're here for. They're not just trying to, you know, say, hey, we're a cool band. It's like, this is what we want to do. We want to entertain you. He sounds like a guy with some vocal training. I don't know whether he's actually had any or not, but it sounds like he might have been in a choir at some point in his life. Probably. Um, I do know that he said one of his first albums, and, and we talked about this last week, so it's going to be kind of funny. Uh, when I've seen him live both times, he had mentioned the first two albums he remembered as a kid was he got uh, the Dubliners, more of the hard stuff, and he got an a, uh, album from The Clash. So it's just kind of interesting that those two bands kind of popped up again in this style of music. You know, it's almost like we might have to do both of those at some point. I know, it, it almost is, isn't it? Strange thing that. Strange things that one of those uh, might actually show up on this podcast someday. Who knows? Yeah, without so, a doubt. <clears throat> I guess we should go ahead and get into the album then. Um, well, Ben, I'll I'll be nice and let you go first again. Uh, the thing about it is there is a sense of rage and frustration on this album that. I really appreciate. I've said before that I like my punk slash metal very angry and very aggressive, and this is. Now, this doesn't have the stereotypical I'm angry at this government X for Y reasons. This is coming from a place where, you know, Dave King was born in 1961, thereabouts, and 
lived in Ireland through the entirety of the Troubles, which is, of course, the, for those of you who do not know, is the conflict between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, you know, a low-level insurgency, sometimes not so low-level, I mean, almost an open civil war, replete with bombings from both sides and atrocities that we're not necessarily going to get into. But you can sense that frustration in these lyrics in i mean if you the the fucking opening track though the one that gives it drunken lullabies you know it we find ourselves in the same old mess singing drunken lullabies has the shepherd led his lambs astray to the bigot and the gun and just this frustration with all the violence that has gone on his entire life in his home country um and that is the thing that jumped out to me from the very beginning that's something that always kind of got me to the first time I heard it. I knew exactly what he was talking about, but again, because of my background, I you know, was raised on that. Um, a lot of people in my age demographic at the time, when they heard it, didn't quite get that. Um, and not to get off too far on tangent, but two other musicians, um, Phil Coulter wrote the song The Town I Love So Well. That song is effectively what happens when you know, his town he grew up loving as being a very musical town is destroyed by the violence that goes back and forth. Um, and another band, uh, Cranberries, um, has the song Zombie, which is about right. the troubles. And yep, totally. again, for some reason, people just don't understand what that song is about. This is a much more like in-your-face version of a diff- another perspective, if you will, the same situation. Well, yeah, and the zombies are actually coming at it a little bit earlier because the, their album came out you know, roughly a decade before this. But, you know, it's the same old thing since 1916, you know, so tagging that back to the the events of 1916, which if you don't know about the Easter Rising. Um, so, so, so much a legacy of the political situation and the violence in Ireland that these bands, and even you too, who is kind of, middle of the road really you know i don't want to bag on youtube but i'm going a little bit even they are singing about this because how can you not if you're from there yeah they did have that one song that was very very obvious as well um so that's that's something i think a lot of people tend to forget that youtube yeah. is in fact from ireland and a lot of people tend to forget that right um, but anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. But I mean, drunken lullaby, what's left of the flag? May the living be dead in our wake. Rebels of the Sacred Heart. Not that that is the only um, Irish touchstone, Irish experience touchstone that they dig on, because they have Death Valley Queen, which, you know, can be, at least as I read it, as the part of the experience of the Irish who came over to work on the transcontinental railroad. So this is a guy who's very familiar with the history of his people, both modern contemporary history of his life with the troubles, which only ended in 1998 um, and the, the legacy of the Irish Americans on the continent. And speaking to that, um, I mean, just, just the, the sense of, kind of like you you're trying to do something and you always fail at it is something i kind of got from another one i mean beginning of rebels of the sacred heart now i'm aiming for heaven but i'll probably wind up down in hell that 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 sets the tone for the entire song um and i kind of felt like that to me was his just utter frustration is like no matter and i'm not gonna say no matter what he does he'll always fail at it but i'm sure 
you might have been there before. I know I have, where it's like nothing you do is really going to work out. Um, but you're still going to attempt make the attempt, even though it might be futile. And it pops up a lot of times in in different cultures and and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, it also types into that exulting the fact that you know I get knocked down and I get up again because you're never going to kick me down. Uh, to tie into Chumbawamba for some stupid ass reason, or you know, I fight authority. Authority always wins with John Mellencamp. So that is is falling strictly into that you know you can't keep us down kind of thing. And in some ways, um, a lot of people would say that what's left of the flag is about that. Um, and he has said in his shows, at least the two I went to, that song is actually about his dad. A lot of people think it's more about uh, the, the troubles because of specifically what it talks about. But it's more about his losing his dad and losing that that identity that he was Irish. Well, he still is, but that he lost that because now he's an American. Um, there's a lot more truth than that. I could go on a whole, whole paper if I needed to on it, but if you ever look up what that song is about, that's, it's kind of hard hitting when you read about it. I'm sure that that's part of it too. Um, and he wrote it. So who am I to kind of disagree, but the, a lot of the lyrical imagery that he is expressing in there also is allegorical to the troubles. Um, I mean, you, the personal loss, especially a life once full, now an empty base with the blossoms on his early grave. I can definitely see that, you know, tying into the loss of his father as somebody who's lost their father. Um, but a lot of the, the it's a place grew an angry festered wound full of hatred and remorse or a pick and scratch to the blood is matched silent rays that now fills my lungs. I mean, that can also be about the, the loss of a loved one. But that, again, subconsciously, maybe I think that is typing or tapping into the the realities of the troubles so i want to i want to agree about the allegorical uh, aspect of it because that's that's what i got from it once i heard him talk about it and started thinking about the lyrics again i was like okay so it's almost like he's using his experiences to basically paint a picture of his feelings on this on the matter um and i mean you could you could take in, in any artist you can do that you can take a song that maybe they didn't mean for it to be a, taken a certain way, but because it's art, I can run with it because it's yeah, art. Yeah, totally. I mean, mm -hmm. So so we do that. Um, and another one I kind of wanted to, to point out too, um, song number 10, Another Bag of Bricks. Uh, we didn't talk about this when we did the Pogues, but there's a Pogues song called the Turkish Song of the Damned, and it sounds so fucking similar. That's Again, when I first heard that song, I was like, oh, this is basically a almost like a Pogues homage. I know that may not necessarily be it, but if you get a chance, look that song up and then listen to another bag of bricks and it's like super similar. It's almost eerily. So in a way. Yeah. And I, I want to say one more thing about the whole artistic thing. Um, because man, I'm going to sound like such a nerd when I say this, but that's okay. Cause I am one. I, I do think that we often, write things as somebody who's written songs and as somebody who still writes poetry um you often do write such things that are very personal and may not have a connection consciously to the things that have shaped your life even though you are writing something personal like for example writing something about the loss of a loved one your father what have you but your language will be shaped by your lived experience, the traumas that you have had. 
I can't write like somebody who grew up in Australia, for example, because I don't know what that's like. Anything I write is going to be tinged with somebody who grew up in bumfuck Kentucky, because that is my lexicon. And the reason I bring that up is just, again, to go to that point, when you have lived in a place where there is such endemic violence, whether you are explicitly referring to it or not, I think it's going to subconsciously affect you so that it is a reference point. I can agree with that. Um, so another thing that, that got me with this album too, and then I want I wanted to make sure I brought this up as well, the entire album kind of feels like it's all about loss because every song on here is i don't want to say it's dark or depressing but it almost has like like a defeatist attitude and i I mean that in the best way possible um and what really kind of ties it together is uh, song number 11 the rare old times it's a, a cover that song is all about loss it's about a guy that can't move away from like things that changed and again that's a song that i grew up listening to on on my dad's reel to reel um and yeah. when you when you think about it like that and you go back and look at all these other songs, all of these have some kind of uh, specific thing to do with loss, um, whether it be mm-hmm. be like not being able to regain innocence again or maybe it be like losing something dear to you and there's um, there's no coming back from it. And I think that's why I like this album so much lyrically, because it's I, I, hate, I hate to use the word the words deep in a punk song, but it's it's very deep to me because of that. Oh, and, I think punk music is very deep, honestly. Um, maybe not intentionally so sometimes, but I, you know. Anyway. It's it's almost it's almost like, and I'll throw this another example out here, then I'll 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 leave this subject alone for now. It's almost like reading William Butler Yeats as put to music is kind of what this album reminded me of. I would almost go more Seamus Haney, but sure. And then, of course, the album ends on a kind of a, a demure, almost depressing note, too. So, I mean, to me, it just starts out really, really energetic and then just kind of slows down at the very end. Uh, to me, it, it you could almost, if you really wanted to get into it, say that this album goes through the seven stages of grief. Because <laughs> there's anger, there's resentment, there's bargaining, and then just acceptance at the end with the sun never shines on closed door. But I agree with you. I, this album does, and the term I would use is there's a fatalism on this album. That I know that things aren't going to be all right. And at the beginning of the album, it seemed you know a very pissed off thing, and then kind of an acceptance and a, exulting in it, and levels of the sacred heart, into the the sun never shines on closed door where we all t- take the long way home. So, you know, it's all those elements are there. It almost sounds like if you're describing growing up. Yeah, totally. I guess so. I just thought about that just now when you were talking, I'm like, Oh, well maybe, maybe that's another little aspect of it. No, I can definitely see that. Um, without a doubt. But yeah, this um, if you if you ever get a chance to see this band live, they about sixty percent of what they play comes off this album. I mean, they do they do other songs as well. Don't get me wrong, but this album almost always gets played at their live shows, um, or at least at least most of the songs on here, are the ones that you think are going to show up. So I always thought that's 
kind of interesting because most bands might have one or two from an album they play. Yeah. Like they, they ended with what's left of the flag is their encore because no one hadn't played it yet, but they started off with drunken lullabies. And then the year I went to go see them, I think uh, within a mile of home had just come out. They did a few songs off that. And then like the last like five or six sets were off this album. I mean, this album just blew my doors off. I haven't seen them live, but I have, my buddy Hardball got this album either when it came out in 2002 or maybe the next year in 2003. I think it might have been 2003 because I think I was living in Berna at the time. And Berna is located roughly, and this isn't going to matter to most people listening to this, but those of you who are in western Kentucky who are listening or um, western Tennessee might know the geography. is roughly 30 to 45 minutes east of Paducah, which is the big metropole for Western Kentucky, where everybody, if you want to hang out with people or do anything, that's kind of where you have to go. Um, so when we would drive into town to, to go play D&D or go hang out or go see a movie or do anything that didn't involve doing something at our house, we would go there and we listen to this. And he bought this on a lark. And that album spent the next year in my CD player. Um, we listened to it and I was like, holy fuck, this changes everything because it was just, I'd heard some Celtic punk before this, but this was the first one that really ticked that aggression part of the punk to me, at least because I've said before that when we were doing dropkick, that a lot of their stuff is, Hey, let's go to the bar and kind of get drunk and fight. But it's more of a class-based thing and not necessarily with a political consciousness. This has a political consciousness. And that really grabbed me because I like my music with that political consciousness. Um, good, bad, or indifferent. And, dude, this, I mean, and then there's touching moments on here, too. Like, you know, I used to sing If I Ever Leave This World Alive to my mom before she died. So I can't say enough about this album, dude. It just meant a lot to me in a lot of different ways. So this is one of those albums that for me um, kind of stuck with me because it came out the year I graduated uh, high school. So I think it came out like, I think I said in March. So, I mean, got done in May. I didn't get it until like about a month or two before I graduated. And like every day I listened to it and I was just like, holy shit, I fucking love this band. Um, I had heard Swagger before, but I hadn't really like pay attention to any of the lyrics on it. Um, and by the time I was a senior, not a lot of people were listening to this kind of music. A lot of people were listening to, and I hate, to, I'm loath to say this, but the school that I went to, the demographic of the people were listening to things like Master P and the No Limit Army and things of that nature. So by my senior year, I was kind of by myself with this kind of music. So this kind of got me through like the last, like, two month or so of high school to kind of get through it and be able to actually appreciate good music. You know, my last, what I would consider like the last part of my youth. All right. Um, so let's transition over to songs. What are songs on here? Are you, are, do you consider quote unquote your songs? Oh, let's just get started. Drunken lullabies, what's left, the, what's left of the flag? May the living be dead in our wake. If I ever leave this world alive, the Kilburn High Road, Rebels of the Sacred Heart, Swagger because it's so damn funny and just it's kind of a, it's 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 not a real, but it 
I call it a reel for lack of better terms. Um, another bag of bricks and the rare old times. And that is damn near the entire album. Yeah, for me, the my response is everything except Swagger and Cruel Mistress. And it's not that they're bad. It's just that I'm kind of eh about those. I will listen to them because I usually do just listen to this album all the way through. But every other track, banger. Fucking drop all the bikes. Yes. What's left of the flag? Yes. Made the living me dinner. I'm like, yes. Beverly this world alive. Yes. Kilburn High Road. Yes. Rebels of the Sacred Heart. You damn right. You know. And on and on and on. Yeah, so I mean that's 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 pretty much the entire album right there. So I, I I've got nothing really bad to say about it. Um if if I could change one thing, I would maybe say I wish that they would have done something different other than swagger. Um only because there's no lyrics to it. It's kind of instrumental. Um, but what's amusing is, again, if you ever get a chance to see them live, they usually use that for like an interlude of sorts. Like they'll play it, take a break, and then come back and do something else. And that's usually like lets the crowd know, hey, we're, we're going to like get some water real quick. We'll be right back. And yeah. so I, I feel like that's probably why they put this on this album. So I think now is the time before we grade this, because I think the grades are kind of a fait accompli. I think people are, know where we're going, considering the fewest praise we've heaped on this so far. Who do you think is a bigger band in the United States? Them or, drunk, or the Dropkick Murphys? So it's a hard question to answer, and I'm only going to give this answer based on... Um, based on commercialization because i think without commercialization it would it would almost be impossible um and the reason i say commercialization is i feel like more people know who the dropkick murphys are than flogging molly is if we're going to just talk about like if we throw these two names out there in public right now um i feel like more people are going to know dropkick just because it's almost more of a household name rather than flogging molly is um, that is entirely possible. <sighs> hmm. And there's really no good way to do the metric. I mean, the, the only way to do it, and I would have to prep for it, and I didn't, is to pull up their album sales and kind of compare them. And, and there's really not. Also, another thing you have to remember, too, is um, Floggy Molly's first album came out in 2000. And while, yes, Dropkick Murphy's the first album came out in 1998, People in the Boston area and Massachusetts knew about them in 1996. Like they were already like playing with other bands by then. And not that Dave King wasn't, but Flogging Molly had not yet been a thing. And I, that's what I'm getting at when I say the commercialization of it. Uh, people know more about this band than the other. I cannot disagree with that. And I would say that it's, it's probably the dropkick if for no other reason than shipping up to boston is everywhere i mean the just a little intro riff to that is on so many commercials and as we are coming up on st patrick's day as you listen to this it'll be over but as we're recording it's it's still a week or so away um that it gets so much play commercially you know the the, the residual money they must get on that um, it's phenomenal and bully to them for doing so. Um, so I would say that Dropkick is more well known, even though I personally think Fogged Molly is the better band. 
having seen them both live i am going to say it depends on the songs I, it really does um there are some songs that when flogging molly comes out they just fucking bring it and that's it and there's some songs when dropkick comes out they bring it and you're like oh wow um it's a very hard for me it's a very hard decision to make because of that and i think if you have not heard them live i would agree with you that flogging molly sounds like the better band but just seeing them live and just the energy both both bands bring i I really think it depends on the songs specifically rather than the band itself. That's fair. Well, it's time to grade this thing. I wonder what we're going to grade this, Ben. What's, uh, what do you think? Because I imagine we're probably going to have the same grade. Uh, it's an A+. Plus. Any album that I spend a year or so listening to um. Yeah, I mean, consistently nonstop. It was probably gonna be great. Uh, there are twelve tracks, and there were only two of them that I mentioned that are not, I I think, awesome, uh, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, if that's not an A plus, nothing is. This is an A plus. This is probably their best album they have ever done. Um, I feel like to me this is the will be considered their magnum opus because if you ever wanted to know what flogging molly sounds like because you haven't heard them before listen to this album and that's it this is the listen to this album that's what the band is like there yeah you go. and i mean i i don't know if we'll do another flogging molly album on the podcast or not if we get around to it we do if we don't we don't um i've listened to some of their other albums uh and they have tracks on them that i like but and even some songs that i think are as good but none of the other albums have been this good. And part of that is because none of the other albums have had the intensity that this one does. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and I, I really, the way I look at different bands and, and of the ones we've talked about, it always seems like either they're really good on their first album or they're really good on the second album. And the third album is usually okay or good. And then if they go farther than that, they have to be super talented or they start losing things that don't make them as good as when they first came out. And it's not just in punk music. There's a lot of a lot of different musical styles that do that to where it's like something is missing now and you don't really know what it is. And thank God we have this recording because we know what's, what this band or this artist is capable of versus eh, they're just okay, which I, I hear so much from people that aren't into this kind of music. And I, 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 I appreciate that this album came out when it did um and i again if i i would i would tell someone if you've never heard this band go get this album first oh yeah yeah if somebody asked me for a recommendation for an album from flogging molly it would be drunken lullabies i wouldn't recommend any others at least the ones i've heard because there's a couple that i haven't heard so i might be speaking a little bit about my skis there but of the ones i would heard it would be that one and this is the only uh other than the first album, this is the only one that really has anything to do with punk music in, in general. I mean, yes, the, you could still argue that their later albums are, but it's when I say they lost something, it's almost like they become more of a rock band rather than a punk band after this album. Because I did enjoy Within a Mile of Home, which is the one that came out two years later, but there was something about it that just didn't catch me, and ever since then it's just been... There's a few songs like you. Know, there's a few songs in each album that I like, but overall, it's kind of like a, I just download these two or three songs and be done with it. 
but this album, Lightning in a Bottle, Inspiration, all the muses were aligned, whatever euphemism you want to use, but this album is legit as you can be. Quite, quite a gap description. So with that in mind, I believe we have finished our our Celtic punk for the month of March. Sad face. Very sad face. What are we doing next then? Next is going to be a mystery. We haven't decided yet, and that's something we'll have to discuss. So I guess everyone's going to have to tune in. When we go away from Celtic music and come back to something a bit more traditional, per se. Yes, join us for some April showers and an album that is yet to be determined. For those that didn't get our last greeting, I do hope everyone has a good, safe march, if you're wherever you're listening to this at. Um, It's been fun. I've quite enjoyed these four albums, even though some are better than the others. No doubt whatsoever. Um, Hopefully that's... You have enjoyed the journey as well. Just give us a shout out and let us know or don't. You do you, we'll do us, and we'll keep on keeping on. Until the next time, thank you for listening to Static Rage. Thank you again, and as always, may the living be dead in our wake. <laughs>